Spalding, this calls for the old Billy Barul. Episode 7 of the Conquer Golf Podcast uh, just wrapped up the third week of the FedEx Cup playoffs. This is Brian Thompson alongside Kevin Noto. Got a great episode for everyone today. Obviously recapping BMW. Uh, had Ryder Kit Cup uh, roster finalized uh, on Tuesday, or right after the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll review our picks and, and maybe chat a little bit about what's going on in the LPGA with Evian Masters. So... We've got some interesting stuff to talk about. We're also going to do a little bit and chat about some of our favorite uh, specialty clubs, shall we say. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin, I noticed that uh, you brought with you today an ode to Keegan Bradley's caddy, Pepsi, with your Pepsi here. What is to, that? What does that mean? That's his, that's his caddy's nickname, Pepsi. Really? Yeah. I'm assuming he... I assume Pepsi I assume anyone. Pepsi's still with Keegan. I don't know. He was with Keegan for a very long time. I didn't actually pay attention that closely, but yeah, that's Pepsi. He, really? Yeah, the story goes that he used to I think when I think was Keegan on the on the web.com tour for a while when he first started, but he would actually Yeah, I think he played the Carolina tours yeah. and then yeah, he grinded. But Pepsi apparently would hide Pepsi's throughout the course. And drink them just uncontrollably. Uh, so I appreciate that. You that's brought, really funny. You brought Pepsi. Yeah. Uh, An homage. Yeah. Yep. Before seven thirty, that's impressive. Yeah. He, he would be proud. Yep. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. I yeah. He's my new role model. So. Oh man. So <laughs> I mean, what were your thoughts on just him coming through finally? Obviously, he's had some good finishes, but um, it was kind of nice to see him pull through. I thought. Yeah, I mean, he's always one of the best ball strikers on tour. Uh, listening to the broadcasts, they were saying he might very well be the best driver on tour. Um, but it's that putting, and he made some putts. He made a really good birdie on 17. I believe he birdied like four out of his final six holes or something like that. Um, it, it was impressive. He made a couple long putts early in the round. And then he missed also a couple short ones, but um, steadied the ship and and got it done and got a little bit of help from Justin Rose. I mean, they both bogeyed 18. Uh, they both went into 18 at 21 under and finished at 20, but um, it was impressive. Yeah, it, it, good for him. I mean, it's been a long road back. He's never lost his card since the anchor ban, has he? No. Well, he also had the the PGA Championship. Is that five year? Yeah, so he he's had kind of a buffer, if you will. Yeah, um, but it is it is interesting that this year you've definitely seen more players who are you know uh, used to anchor who seem to be kind of having a bit of a resurgence, and it, it seems like it's like I don't you know there's a lot of guys that are adopting like new sort of takes on the anchored band you see all these guys that are sort of anchoring up to the forearm Mm -hmm. and then you've got all these like modified claws and everything and like just looking at this leaderboard um justin rose and billy horschel 
do Claws. Um, Xander and Rory are pretty normal, but Webb Simpson. So, you know, three out of the top, I don't know, top seven people on this leaderboard um, have alternate grips. Yeah. So I wonder when the change will be where in golf we actually see more people with non-conventional grips. Think that'll ever happen? Yeah, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you... <laughs> Keegan's like, long putter, too. Not, he, yeah, not long, but it's anchored like, to form. He's like, yeah, he's like yeah. Bryson and Webb. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, do you think... like Is that something that is going to be outlawed at some point? Like The forearm I could see. But, I mean... I, I, I think what... Not for a long time. I don't think the tour... Or the USGA can change, have another rule change about putting, right? When all these guys develop a new way, just for optics reasons, right? Right. Well, but, that's true. But if if politics wasn't involved like that or optics, I would assume they'd say the the only part of your body that can touch a club would be below the wrists or something, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, obviously you'd have to make some. You know concessions for people that you know amputees and the like like yeah. but like obviously they're not playing on the PGA tour at least not yet mm-hmm. um, I, I I don't know I don't know what I, I I just am very uncomfortable with this like anchoring <laughs> in general um, of any kind whether it's to your body or to your forearm or mm-hmm. it just I don't know I feel like there's a certain element of skill that that is being nullified by that like whether or not that skill is valuable um i don't know although that being said i guess i i, I don't know if i really believe that or not because like it's not like i'm anchoring because it's better yeah probably. yeah i mean if you look at the best putters on tour most probably aren't anchoring yeah. um but i understand what you're saying it's like have you ever played pool and you got that shot that you can't reach with both hands so you pull out the bridge yeah. And you use the bridge, and then you hit it, and you're like, am I allowed to use the bridge every time? Because it's way better than my left hand trying to hold this pull cue on my right hand. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, but no one does, and I don't know why, but it, whenever I've thought of anchoring, it's similar to that. Like, like yeah. it's similar to pulling out the bridge and pull, where you're just like, wow, this is unfair, but then again, no one does it, and I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Really, it is really interesting. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of uh, bogeying 18, uh, Justin Rose bogeyed 18 to become number one in the world. Yeah. Bogeyed 18 twice. Yeah, in the playoff. That's too. always so weird when you like somebody like becomes number one and they didn't win the week they became number one. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of odd. Uh, I know why. Obviously, it's the way the world golf ranking works. You know, how how is it that your last like like thirty events or something that it calculates? It's last it's a rolling two year weighted average. So like the last like six weeks you get full credit for, and then it like tapers off over the you know the two, the two rolling okay. two year period. So um, I mean obviously I I wouldn't suggest that Justin Rose is not deserving of number one. I think he's been. Certainly, the probably the most consistent player yeah, of the I, last two years. Which I think that's makes, very true. Yeah. You know, he seems to be up there very consistently. And him or DJ, you'd have to yeah. say, and they're probably one and two. But yep. yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I think he has four worldwide wins. Um, 
yeah. in the last two years too, which not too many on the PGA. Does it? How many wins does he have this year? Do we know mm. that at all? Because he's prolific, top fiver. Yeah. But I don't picture him being a prolific winner. Well, he won HSBC champions. He won he has Colonial. Okay. He also he's finished runner up the last two weeks. Runner up at the Open Championship. Um, yeah, he's. Yeah, he has two wins on tour this year, and third at Arnold Palmer. Yeah, he's he's definitely he's a machine. He is kind of a machine. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he's impressive, and quite frankly, there's no. We thought I thought Dustin Johnson was going to run away with the number one ranking. Um, run away and hide in the last, but yeah, the last. I mean, he won the Canadian. Yeah. Um, but like. Since then, and kind of a little bit before then, it's just been lackluster. Um, yeah. So I thought he was going to cement himself as like the the clear cut number one and win five times this year, and he just didn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we we have more of this back and forth wishy washy number one, which we'll probably have for a while. Cause, um, you think so? I do. I think, you know, uh, Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson. I think, I mean, I, not not DeChambeau yet, but Justin Thomas is going to win a couple times a year always, I think. I think. I think Rory might hit a hot streak next year or something and, and get back up there. I don't know. What, what do you think? I think, I think Tiger, I think next year, I'm, okay, I'm making bold prediction right now. Tiger Woods is going to be the number one player in the world next year. Do you think it's more likely he becomes number one in the world or wins a major? Um, more likely. I think it's. I think it's more likely that he'll become number one in the world. I do too. Yeah, I do. Too. Yeah, uh, not that I think it's unlikely that he would be like, but he could. He could very I mean, well do US one with a pebble. Right. So keep that in mind. Well, yeah, he's gonna have to beat me though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> knock on wood, man. I need to start practicing. Uh, it's, speaking of which, I, it's so funny. I, I had a friend of mine who's a uh, he's he's a very average recreational player, bogey golfer. Mm-hmm. He's our age, early thirties, yeah. and he asked me the other day. He's like, "Do you think if I just like..." If I was able to like retire early and I just focused entirely on golf, like you think I, I you know, and I hired a full time coach, you think I could make it? <laughs> I looked him straight in the face, like, no chance, mm-hmm. <laughs> like absolutely no. And it's like there's people out there that think that, and I'm like, it, it to me, it's a little bit insulting. Like, you hear stories about people that picked up the game late that made it on tour. They're very few and far between, and I don't know what they have, but you can almost watch someone play once, and I hate to say this, and know if that's a possibility for them, right? Like, Yeah. You remember Matt Betancourt? Yeah. He played on tour? Yep. I think the first golf tournament he ever played in was when he was like 28, 29, really? and it was uh, like NCGA. Yeah. Yeah. Just a He amateur. crushed it in NCGA when we were like in high school. Yeah. So he became very good in the span of like... A couple years, but I, the rumor has it his first golf tournament was like was when he was older or something. So I, I don't know about twenty eight, but I'm saying like yeah, like upper twenties. 
Yeah, that's so. But pretty, but the average person, you almost have to have started and have, like, when you're young, you have to have these habits and feelings and intimate knowledge of the game built over the course of fifteen years. Or, well, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> like, because like my, I was telling my buddy, I'm like, okay, yeah, you could start now, but guess what? You're competing against people that have been doing it for the last. 15 or 20 years like what is going to give and, and guess what they're doing the exact same thing they're that you're doing practicing. so like yeah i mean you'll gain on them that maybe <laughs> like no i'm serious so i, I there was there's an also a funny story uh i forget what was it in one of harvey Penix books but basically i don't know if it was in one of his books or if i read it somewhere else but somebody like went to the pro at austin country club and was like all right i'm 48 i've got the next two years i want to focus mm-hmm. on my game and uh, you know, ramp up for the senior <laughs> tour, and the head the head pro goes, "Oh, that's great! I got somebody else I want you to meet. He's actually outside in the driving range. His name's Tom Kite. Yeah. He's doing the same thing. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. Good yeah. luck, buddy. Yeah. What are you What are you thinking? Yeah. yeah. I. I mean, I don't know where this where it comes from. Like, the the thought that all it takes is practice. Like, all it takes is hours. Because I don't think that's the case. I think some people are born with not, like, special abilities, but, like, it's like a mindset. It's, I don't know. There's so much to it, and I can't explain it, and I can't quantify it, but, like, what's the difference between Zach Johnson and, you know, other guys on the Nationwide Tour or Web.com? I... I, I think it's mostly ours, to be honest. Really? But I, that's why I think that somebody who's 33, who's at a deficit of like 20,000 hours, is not going to make up ground on somebody who's... I think who's it's already... mostly mental. I mean... I think the difference between putting in 40 hours a week on golf and 60 hours a week, I don't think is that much. I agree on that. I I, I mean, there's certainly... There's like a limit quantity to, yeah. practice versus quality practice, and certainly you want to have quantity quality practice, mm-hmm. right? Like that's um, you could certainly waste a lot of time, yeah, practicing um, yeah. if you're not, you know, going about it in some sort of strategic mm-hmm. way. I think to me the the biggest thing that makes people like not get better, uh, there. Well, I think there's two things. One people have loss aversion, which essentially means they don't want to lose what they already have, irrespective mm. of how crappy they may be. Yeah. Like their familiarity with that is like something that they don't want to lose hold of. And so they're not willing to like actually do anything different. Yeah. I think I'm certainly guilty of that. I think you're very guilty of that. Uh, like, me? Yes, yeah, extremely. Yeah. 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 Um, and like, and it's, I mean, it, for, for somebody like you and I, it's probably, it makes a little bit more sense because we can actually play it at a reasonable level, yeah. right? Uh, whereas, like, what I think is, is really interesting is when you get, like, middle handicappers that, you know, have that same mentality. I'm like, yeah. you're not good. Like, yeah. you have nothing to lose. Like, why don't you try this different way or think about it a little bit uh, in, in this different way? Not, not that you have to have a new idea all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, usually there's, like, some uh, some idea or method that is is very clear clearly a flaw in this Mm -hmm. person's game and they're just 
not willing or able to make that transition from what they are familiar with to this other thing that, that maybe they even know is the right thing, mm -hmm. but it's like loss of aversion and unwillingness to be uncomfortable just yeah. gets in their way. Um, yeah. And it's hard. Um, I think it's taken me a really long time to appreciate that. Uh, but I think that's probably the single biggest reason people don't get better. And single biggest reason people that spend a ton of time mm -hmm. practicing don't get that much better. Now, on the other side of it, I think the, the, the one thing that makes somebody like Zach Johnson really good is that he hasn't tried to do anything different for a very long yeah. time. And he's a he's, master of his own he is way. Totally, right? And he's, he's not trying to find a method. He knows his method, and he just does it and does it and does it and does it. And it's like, at this point, if he tried to change, he'd be off the tour real quick. Yeah. But he doesn't need to, and he, he's become that much more confident in his own game. Yeah. Um, and accepting who he is and... You know, not as a as a golfer and mm -hmm. well, hopefully as a person too. But yeah, you know, that wasn't really what I was going after. But but yeah, um, yeah. There's there's yeah. So like, if you have something that's functional, then I think that, that so that's actually an interesting point, right? So like somebody like Zach Johnson who has like functional capabilities on the golf course, yeah. like he can hit great shots. Like a lot of people like that would screw themselves up because they like are on hunt for yeah, they yeah. hunt for something else. When they don't really need something else, they just need to master what they have. Um, and then you, you have the, the flip side of like people that like literally don't have something functional and yeah. they're like trying to just rehearse that to the point that they actually make it functional, which is like yeah. probably, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that'll ever, ever you, know, the, you know, the person who like, you know, has a massive scoop at the bottom of their swing yeah. You know, and like the bottom of their swing arc is like six inches behind the ball and they either thin it or chunk the heck out of it. And yeah. they're like, oh, how come I keep doing that? It's like, because your swing sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they refuse to change because yeah. when they try to change, they play worse for a week. And yeah. it's like, of course you play worse for a week. It, exactly. But, yeah. Yep. That's a. Uh, and then that, I mean, one. and then the next thing you know, they're on Golf Channel and they're, you know, seeing a bunch of infomercials for the, uh, <laughs> what, what do they call that square face wedge? The, uh, oh, the, the chipper? The chipper. Well, no, it's, this, what's the one that, is it, isn't it Andy North is the one that, yeah, it is a chipper, but I don't think that's what they call it. No, no, no. It's called the square, square, square wedge, square something. I don't know. That's one of them. That's definitely one of them. One of the hot ones right now. So, funny story about a chipper. Yeah. When I was a senior in high school, our team, for some reason, we thought it was cool to have a chipper in your bag. So, <laughs> I actually played a couple uh, tournaments where I had a chipper in my bag, but it, I took out the 7-iron because when you full swing a chipper, it Good. was the perfect 7-iron. And it hit <laughs> these high, towering draws. But, but yeah, I don't know. It sounds, yeah, so, maybe, well, maybe the square... This new square one is, is a better, like, seven hybrid than it is actually functional. Hybrids, so. <laughs> we might have to test that. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. And it, well, we got that. We got the T-less driver, which okay, really that, irks Brian. Oh, my. That, that, <laughs> that, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know Nota Begay from Adam, but I cannot believe that. I, I, I want to know how much money they pay him. To, to Do you see the people on that commercial 
that they have swinging that as if they're going to be able to hit a fairway metal off the ground and they hit it like a driver. Give me a break. A three wood <laughs> off the ground has got to be the hardest club you could possibly hit. And yet... Well, that's, that's the thing. So I looked it up. They're $199. Uh, you can only pre-order them right now. One ninety nine, and they probably they probably upsell you. You get on some mailing list, and they're gonna upsell sure, you on I'm sure golf there's hy- hybrids stuff. coming. Like there's a T list three wood, which T list or three woods are always meant to be T list. I've got it. I'm gonna invent the T list sand wedge. You don't need a T to hit your sand wedge. <laughs> oh, actually, they're worse. Come on, you mean they're worse? Two ninety seven. Oh yeah, because well, you can get it with. If you want the... to upgrade the shaft to ultimate performance, it's three forty-seven. That that is so criminal. <clears throat> so uh... you have these, yeah, you have these clubs. You have this whole business of clubs you'll never see in a golf mart, of clubs you'll never see in a Dick's Sporting Goods, and they all must pay a decent amount of money to have kind of has been tour pros, right? Yeah, rep these clubs, and they pay for a ton of spots, a ton of airtime on Golf Channel as well. I, Not to mention all the other ads they do. I'm sure they run them in all the golf magazines and social media. This must be a big business. It, there has to be something there. I, I just, it's such a, well, okay. So this, <laughs> yeah, this, this gets me to thinking about like just the golf equipment business in general, which. I think has become um, a, a huge. It, it's ultimately just a marketing thing, yeah. right? Like it's very like like. I mean, I I play TaylorMade equipment. I'm very happy with my TaylorMade equipment. They make great stuff. I used to play Titleist stuff. Titleist still makes great equipment. Mm-hmm. Callaway makes great equipment. Like, yeah, all the companies make really good equipment, and you know, certainly some people have affinity for some equipment more than others. But like, ultimately, it's. It's about the marketing. Like I think yeah. that's what that's what this tealess driver speaks. Of. It's like it's all marketing. Like yeah, um, I don't know. And it's just it just really irks me that like somehow they're selling this idea that like if you can't hit your driver off a tee, you're going to be able to hit this driver that's got like two extra degrees of loft <laughs> off the ground. Yeah. Like that. And oh, and and they, and they even got Nota Begay saying, oh yeah, you can even hit it out of a divot. I'm like come on nobody's hitting this out of a divot who's like buying this like <laughs> i know it's pretty bad huh That's it, really they say bad. right here it's impossible to chunk come on it's Dude, right here. they've never seen me free play video golf. will show I've... you how to effortlessly launch soaring monster drives right off the deck and it's impossible to chunk but I don't know. Impossible I mean, to chunk. So I, I wonder what happens when the bottom of your swing arc runs into the ground before the ball. <laughs> yeah, and your club bounces over the ball. I, <laughs> it happens on half the swings, I bet, with the people that order these. But it's, it's wild. But like to your point, so essentially selling golf clubs now is an arms race to, to advertising, right? It's like... Yeah, and it it's it started to be a change in golf balls. You see golf balls called Snell and Vice. Yep. And there's this whole um, other sector of golf balls launching that have pretty much the same technology of all the leading balls, but they don't pay the millions and millions and millions of dollars that big brands do for sponsoring tour players, and it allows them to charge fifty percent, forty percent less per dozen. So they don't pay. You know, Adam Scott, an extra five hundred grand on a win 
when he's using a Tideless Ball. And, yep. and, you know, however much money they spend, they spend 1% of that. It's in an interesting arbitrage. I yeah, mean, I wish I would have thought of it. But <laughs> essentially, I think it all started a company called Snell. He was one of the main, I don't know, let's just call it golf ball scientists for, I believe, TaylorMade. And he branched off and started his own company. But Trader. It might be a... <laughs> Yeah, it might be, it might be coming with golf clubs sooner than we think too. I know it happened with shafts already. Um, okay, so that leads me to something. Question: Shafts. Um, do you think that that is there, there's a huge market for like aftermarket shafts, and that, that's a uh, you know there's a lot of people that would sort of just say, yeah, the shaft is the most important piece of equipment yeah. for the club. Do you agree or disagree? I mean, to an extent, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I'd, that I'd they... rather have an average shaft or an average head and a good shaft than than the opposite, right? Okay. An yeah, shaft I guess that's and a good head. But if you have like a really old club or something with a good shaft, it it might not be as effective as a brand new head. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Like, yeah, if you put in your, like, original Big Bertha Warbird 5-wood yeah. with some yeah, it, graphite design. With a really good shaft. Or something, yeah. like... Yeah, it might not be... It might not be quite as good, but... But, yeah. but once you have something that's pretty modern and made in the last five years, I'm sure I'd rather have a good shaft in I any think, club like that. I think that's what I'm getting at, right? Is that, like, the USGA and the RNA, they have rules around, like, how good the equipment can be, right? Mm -hmm. And what you've seen in the last, I would say, three to five years is that the equipment has gone from, you know, kind of these technological enhancements to make the clubs hotter and more forgiving and all this stuff. And basically, they've just, like, the, the whole shift has been towards customizing things that are, you know, ha are tweaked specifically to your game, which I think makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you're even seeing people customize things like Cobra's got the MyFly when you can have a different color driver and stuff. And like <laughs> honestly, like that's that's really the, the the game I think in the equipment space now is that you know they just have to make everything perfectly you know totally customizable mm -hmm. so that it's it feels more like yours and it was made just for you. Like yeah. But um, but on the you know just if you take just a one club and compare it to another and it's they're the same specs like yeah. the difference is pretty negligible i would yeah, say i also get a kick out of it like i don't know if you've seen any friends that have posted like their their new titleist driver and they hold up the sign that says i added five miles an hour of ball speed and like 15 uh mm -mm. you know yards to my t-shirt and i'm like okay if you did that one of two things happened uh either a you weren't warmed up when you started with your own driver so <laughs> yeah which is a real thing oh like when I warm up, I add five miles an hour club head speed from the time that I'm like yeah. just starting to the time that I'm like fully warmed up and ready. Like that's why these players get to the range an hour ahead of time mm -hmm. uh, when they go go to play. Yeah. And then secondly, the other thing is your other driver probably just wasn't fit properly for you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's not like this. You're just gonna change out this club, and you know, uh, yep. it's gonna be a, a lifesaver. Oh, and then you got the Warrior Clubs. That... I looked up Warrior oh, Clubs, too. Gosh. It's just, the Warriors are the most famous infomercial club to me. Because it's like, they've been around forever. 
I think you buy one, you get a wedge for free for only shipping and handling. But These guys like, must be marketing geniuses. I've actually seen players at ranges with full sets of warrior clubs, too. So they exist. And they exist in a very big fashion. So it's unbelievable. The infomercial golf club market is bigger than we could ever imagine, I believe. Bigger than we could ever imagine. Very yeah. interesting. All right, we've, that was a massive tangent, yep. and we've spent a lot of time, although I think that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> last week's results? Yeah, let's go through the picks from last week uh, okay. and see how we fared. Brian picked uh, Rory to win. He <sighs> took uh, minus 18, uh, took a solo fifth. So he looked good for a long time. He just could not make putts Hot on start. the Monday. But um, good week for him. Yeah. Uh, anytime there's a soft golf course, I like Rory. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, Ted Potter, he picked to pick last or picked to place last. He took uh, dead middle of the field, so t thirty five at minus eight. He so was not too way bad. up there though at first. He was. Yeah, he had a horrible uh, final round, but yeah. which saved Brian. But did. I picked Francesco Molinari to win uh, t eight at minus sixteen. This golf course must have been long for him, so. I was watching the Monday uh, final round, and I kid you not, Rory had two forty or no, two hundred and like eighteen yards into I don't know what hole it was, and he was hitting his he was hitting a wood, and they were all hitting woods from like two fifty two and coming up short on par fives, and they might have been uphill, but like that never happens. Yeah, never happens. You'll more often see people hit. Four irons from two fifty than three woods, right? Yeah. And they they couldn't even come up. They couldn't even get to the hole. It was wild. So, um, that must have been a long course for Francesco. And then I picked Ches Rivi to finish last. He took t thirty eight at minus seven. So, bottom half of the field, but still not very good. So. All right, cool. Well, we're not gonna make our picks for the uh, the tour championship yet. You're gonna have to tune in next week. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing we didn't talk about before we wrap up, Tony Finau yeah. ended up getting selected as the fourth and final captain's pick for the U.S. squad. I think you and I were both in agreement that that was more or less a foregone conclusion. I mean, unless Xander won, which he placed in the top five this week, so kudos, he made one last push, but that's Tony Finau's. Because, again, Tony Finau finished around top ten somewhere. So yeah, I mean, Tony just... was just, he was extremely consistent yeah. all year. I mean... Um, how many? He had like eleven top tens or something. It was something outrageous. Especially as of late, right? Yeah, and eleven he took, top tens. He took multiple, and in majors, he played good too. He did. He had like so, his three best finishes in majors all yeah. this year. Yeah. <laughs> so he's ready. Yeah, definitely ready. So congrats to him. I think it'll be fun to uh, to check that out. Uh, we'll we'll definitely talk more about that in the weeks to come, but. Uh, yeah, congrats to Tony on getting selected to the team. Well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Justin Rose, number one in the world. Yep. Pretty so, good. So, yeah, it's an exciting week. Yeah, shaping up to be a good uh, good tour championship, good FedEx Cup finale here, and obviously Ryder Cup uh, right on the heels of that. So, should be good. That's all for this week. Uh, appreciate everybody listening, and uh, enjoy every shot. Yep, see ya. I'm just sitting here in front of you guys. Talking, just hanging out here.